Well, good morning, church. It's good to be a child of God, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Well, welcome. Man, it's good to see everybody, as usual, on Sunday morning, uh, gather together and sing praises and just get our focus on the Lord for, for this next uh, hour, hour and, and change. So let's do this. Let's get Bibles into everybody's hands that needs them. Uh, those of you that have Bibles, two places to mark this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and 1 Peter chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up nice and high and the guys in the back will bring a Bible to you. Um, 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 5, if you don't know where those references are, just look in the table of contents or ask the person next to you who seems to know what they're doing. All right, now, let's pray. Father, as we open your word, uh, our minds are uh, maybe scattered, maybe on um, all kinds of things this morning. And Lord, so, so we're just going to pray right now as a group. We're just going to agree in prayer, Lord. We need you. And we thank you for uh, being a God that is not a distant God, that is not um, disconnected from your creation, Lord, that you are intimately involved with every aspect of your creation and life under the sun. And Lord, we know that while we vote that you raise up the person who you would have to rule over us at this time. And Lord, we pray that we would have a a president that would lead our nation to morality and to peace. A, a man who fears you above all. A man that recognizes that the buck does not stop with him, but that he is higher, accountable to a higher authority in his life. And I pray that he would raise up under him a, a cabinet, a group of, of men and women that know that same thing, that the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge is, is fear of the Lord. And we pray, Lord, that as a nation, we just confess that we have gone our own way. Lord, even in the church, we've discarded your word. We've elevated our own wisdom and our own reasoning above your word. And Lord, I pray that, that we as a church, as a fellowship, that we would be uh, bold enough and have faith enough to stand on your word. Even when we don't understand Lord, we, um, we just humble ourselves before you. We bow our knee to you, Lord, and ask you to have your way in our families, have your way in this church, have your way in our building project, have your way in this election, and have your way in our hearts. Lord, speak to us from your word. Open our eyes. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the one and only, we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen, amen. We are studying through the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his young ministry intern named Timothy. Timothy is uh, having a rough go of it in the church that's in Ephesus. And this is a personal letter. And he's a young man. Uh, because he's young, he's not getting a whole lot of respect from the people that are in their church He's struggling with false teaching. He's struggling with uh, people competing for leadership. And Paul writes because he wants to get this church in order. 
Because a disordered church, a church that's full of controversy and full of conflict, does not glorify God. And we've all been there. And so the letter of 1 Timothy for us is about, hey, if it's broken, fix it. If the church is broken, it needs to be fixed. If your home is broken, it needs to be fixed. And there are instructions. We have a guidebook. When Jesus Christ, when the Spirit of God is in the church, and people are obeying and submitting and yielding to the Spirit of God, things get fixed. Things get healthy that used to be unhealthy. And it's the same way in a home. If your home is is disorderly, if your home is not functioning right, if your home is a mess, you don't need more Bible studies. You don't need more. Well, Bible studies are good. You know, that's good. But we can Bible study till the cows come home. We need to obey the Lord. We need to welcome His Spirit. Open the door. Say, Holy Spirit of God, come into this house and fix it, please. And the church and the home are sort of parallel entities. So many of the things that are, that are equated in the church are also equated in the home. And this is important because as we're studying 1 Timothy 3, we're going to look at church leadership. And we've started really, as we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul began to talk to Timothy about the problem with not just, you know, the teaching, the pulpit was problematic. And, and Paul said, get that fixed up, Timothy, just good, sound doctrine. Teaching what's true, what you can count on, not what's speculation, not what, not what are fantasies and good stories. Stick to the truth. Keep it simple, Timothy. Stick, stick to the truth. Stick to what you know. And then he said, hey, guys, we've we got to pray. Especially men. The men had a problem in, in that church. The men were arguing. The men were divisive against one another. They'd come to prayer, and there was a lot of contention. And Paul said, Timothy, the guys should pray without, without all that contention. They've got to get over that. They've got to deal with that. And then, and then he had some instruction for the women. And these things we do by faith, guys, right? This is, we're called to walk by faith, not by what? Right. That means there's some things we're going to be called to do that we may not understand, that don't maybe look right to us. And so God knows precious women. And he knows how much better a job you could do at running the house than your husband maybe, And so by faith, he calls you, give him a crack at it. Yield yourself to him. Respect him. Honor him. Let your husband uh, be the head of his house. Quit competing with him for leadership in the home. And, and that's by faith, right, ladies? I mean, that takes faith, doesn't it? To say, okay, here's the reins, you know. Uh, is this trusting the Lord, not trusting him? You know, not, not the guy you're married to. It's trusting the Lord. And the same thing for guys. Look, we, we, it's sometimes, guys, it's much easier just to pick up the remote control, see what's on TV, and let the ladies do it because they do a good job at it. But God wants husbands by faith that are engaged in the operation of their home. They don't just, they're not just passive and, and hanging out and disengaged from the family, disengaged from the kids. God wants men that are engaged in their families and it's the same way in church. God wants men that are engaged in the ministry, that are engaged in the church family. The church is not a business, is it? Although I think we have adopted that philosophy from the world. The pastor, well, there's the senior pastor. He's the CEO. All the assistant pastors, they're the board. And, and you guys aren't brothers and sisters. 
You know, you're, you're not congregants. You're not those that are called out by the Lord. Well, your customers are clients. And our goal is not necessarily to feed you. Our goal is to retain you. Because growth equals success. Does this sound familiar? This is sort of the, the model that many, uh, many areas of the church have adopted. And it's wrong. It's wrong. The church is a family. And the, thing, the next thing that Timothy, that Paul has to encourage Timothy in is, Timothy, the leadership has to be strong morally. The leadership has to be strong from a character standpoint. We've been, uh, I've been, you've been in churches, and we've seen the leadership style, the leadership structure, structure and the way things operate it's a mess. It's political, and everybody's voting for who should they think should be. It's a popularity contest, or who's been around longest, or all of these things and ways that we kind of appoint or vote or choose leadership in the church. The style is family. And the structure is simple. That's what I love about the Word of God. Style is family for church leadership. The style is family. And the structure is simple. We'll see as we go through 1 Timothy chapter 3. There are at least two and possibly three, we'll talk about that when we get there, offices of leadership in the church. The pastor or the bishop or the elder, they're interchangeable. The deacon, and then we'll talk about the women or the deaconesses as we go through 1 Timothy. That's it. I like that. That's simple. We can get a hold of that. And it's not a popularity contest. There's no, there's no discussion of Timothy have a campaign and, and see who gets the most votes and have a popularity contest and appoint a search committee. And if you do appoint a search committee, here's their guidelines right here in the Bible. So by going through this together as a church, you guys are now equipped to assess the leadership in your own church. And I think that many of you in here uh, that have been in church in a while have never been taught these things. You you don't have any idea how the church is supposed to operate. Well, what's the pastor supposed to be like? Who's he supposed to be? What are the deacons? How does this all operate? Because we've seen committees quarreling and we've seen boards fighting and we've seen a lot of mess. And then you go and and you, I mean, I don't want to be part of that. And I think that's what I love about Calvary Chapel. It's like no politics here. I mean, at least I haven't found it yet. And if I haven't found it, I don't think there, there is any. It's simple. And I hope that as we go through this, we can keep it simple. And keep it biblical, right? So, enough introduction. Actually, maybe not. Well, let me do this. Before we get into the I want you guys to know, because many of you don't have any idea who your elders are. And we are equal. There's not like pastor above the others. Um, where If the elders and the deacons here would stand up. The elders and the deacons. All right. Phil's in the back. Todd Gizak, Elder Warren, Elder Mike Shields, Deacon. Bill Albritton, Deacon. John Womer, Walter Mater in the back. These are guys that, that now, okay guys, be, get ready. You're about to come under scrutiny. We're all, we're, we're all saints. This is true. This is true. All right. But we're talking specifically about the deacons and elders today. All right. So let's, let's get into this. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, This is a faithful saying. 
If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Uh, now, the, he starts off saying, look, this, this is something, Timothy, that you can trust. If a man, and literally it's whoever, but it's in the male gender. So it's, that's why it's translated any man or if a man. Uh, and, and so he's speaking to the men, about, about men. It says, if any man desires the position of a bishop, if any man, and it's, again, literally to stretch out to grab something, to reach out for something. So if any, if any man is willing to and wants to stretch himself out to hold the office or position of a bishop or literally an overseer, that's a good work. That's a, it's an honorable occupation. Now, there's a lot of honorable occupations in the world. And the world, I'm not sure, considers, I think the world considers being an elder in the church a uh, wasteful occupation, a useless occupation. Why would you give yourself to teaching lies, some would say? Why would you waste your life in ministry, others might say? That's not what the Lord says. The Lord says those guys that, that, man, being a pastor is is no cakewalk. (laughs) It's... This church has made it a joy. You guys uh, make being a pastor an absolute joy. We have a wonderful fellowship. And I appreciate the way you love my family, our families. And you have a group of guys that have served. And, and there's, you know, everybody serves. As, as was pointed out, everybody has a measure of service. But what you don't see behind the scenes is the hours that the elders of this fellowship spend praying for you. Praying for all the things that go on. We spend time in meetings. Our meetings, you know, uh, once a month, you know, five hours long into the evening. And we get together for prayer. uh, Thursday mornings with all the men. And then during the month, we get together another time, just the elders to pray. We sacrifice. And there's a lot of things. It's not just a, it's not just a title is what I'm saying. There's a lot more to it. It's like 24-7. You never, you know, you can't go home and leave your job at the office. Because we're shepherds. And we deal with sheep. And there's a personal bond. There's a, there's a relationship there. And so Paul says, if anyone wants to do that, and I pray, what are, you, are the guys in here, is there anyone that has ambition, spiritual ambition, passion, desire, crave? I, I want to serve the church by being an elder. I want to serve the church by being an overseer. Now some of you might ask, well, aren't you, I thought you were a pastor. Where's this bishop thing come in? I had you mark 1 Peter 5, right? Let's go there just briefly. I'm sorry. Yeah, 1 Peter 5. That's where I had you mark. 1 Peter 5. This is going to make it real simple. The, the three words, um, the one we look at here, is a, the Greek word is episkopos. You don't need to know that. It just means overseer. The other word sometimes translated elder is a word that literally means an older man or a more mature person. Uh, and then there's the word pastor that just means shepherd. It's from the root word that means sheep. And they're interchangeable. And here I'll show you uh, how we see that. First Peter 5, Peter writes and he says, the elders, that's presbyteros, or where we get the Presbyterian church, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ... And also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And then he says, okay, elders, here's what I want you to do. I want you to shepherd. That's pastor. 
the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, that's bishops. Or that's the word that means to oversee episkopos, which is where we get the episcopal church. So one describes the maturity. One word describes the maturity. Another word um, describes the heart. And then a third um, describes the responsibility. So these are mature men that have shepherds' hearts that serve to oversee, watch over, guard, uh, care for the flock. When Jesus commissioned Peter, he said, Peter, feed my sheep, tend my flock. When God wanted a king for Israel, when he got to choose, what did he choose? A businessman, a banker? Not that those would be um, uh, not disqualified, but he chose a shepherd. He chose it. That's God's desire for his people is that they be shepherded. So back to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 3. You see, all those words are used interchangeably to describe one person or one group of people, the elders. And there's not just a single one. There, there is a group of them. Even in this church, uh, in Acts chapter 20, I believe, Paul um, greets and spends some time with the elders, plural, from Ephesus. So there's more than one. And in this church, we have six. And if God raises up more, and I pray, pray that he does, then we'll have more. There's no limitation. Our bylaws don't say we can only have six or we can only have this many. As many as the Lord raises up. And if a person desires that thing, he said he desires a good work. But let me remind you, just desiring it isn't enough. Because I think what was happening is, There was competition for leadership. Men were desiring this position. Women were desiring this position. And there was competition for the leadership role. And so Paul says, Timothy, you have to get some control of this. You have to get some order to this. And so here is your instructions for your pastor search committee. Here's how it's going to look. Not just, just wanting to be in leadership is not enough. A bishop then must be. It doesn't say a bishop must do. It says a bishop must be. Why? Because what God is concerned with is not just the role, but the role model. Not just the role, but the role model. It's one thing to fill a spot, to have, you know, something. We're, the church is famous for we got a spot open, let's just find a warm body and fill it. Somebody say amen. We know that happens, right? We got a position we need to fill. Let's just get a warm body in there. Anybody, anybody who's available, right, you can do it. Boy, that causes a lot of trouble. The elders are men in the body of Christ who are living out what they believe. And we'll see that. Because they are, one of the things parents say these days is that their kids lack role models. That we just have this void of role models. And if kids ought to have role models, it ought to be first in the home. And second, they ought to be able to get good role models in the church. And those role models ought to be the men that sort of oversee the congregation. And and the women that are in leadership roles as well. Absolutely. We'll talk about that as we go through. So are we together on this? Is that an important thing? Are role models an important thing? In a study done in, in the United Kingdom, eight out of ten people said that their kid, they didn't feel their kids had adequate role models. Eight out of ten people said that. And now, you know, we, we are about to have an election, and, 
And as a culture, you know, one time, sometimes the last thing we look at is character. We want to know how they're going to do with economics and how they're going to do with this and how they're going to do with that. What about character? What about proven character in other decisions that have been made in other areas of their life? So watch how Paul lays this out for Timothy. Timothy, when you choose, when you appoint elders, do not compromise on character. He says the elders must then be blameless. Now that doesn't say sinless, thank God, because I don't think any of you would say that the elders are sinless. And if you have a question about that, our wives would be glad to tell you that we're not sinless. Blameless means um, unrebukable. Un, un, beyond reproach, which means that everything is above board. There's nothing hidden that, that the life, it, it comes from a person that sort of guards every part of their body so, that, so no one can uh, get, a, get a sword stab in there, you know? So someone who's got every part of their life sort of is guarded. They're blameless. I mean, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to, if there's a, if someone issued a campaign to, to look into my life, you're not going to find anything hidden. What you see, unfortunately, is what you get. Blameless. I mean, there's nothing, nothing hidden. It's, it's, all, it's all out in front there. So blameless is the first thing he says. Uh, the husband of one wife, which is interesting when you look at the, the, um, the Catholic church who has their uh, rulers oftentimes are celibate. Um, there's a real value because of the parallel between church and home, there's a real value for the leader or for the elder, the overseer, the guardian, um, to be married. Because in, and we talked about role models, right? So the role model, the, the elder, is a role model in terms of loyalty and committedness in marriage. He is literally a one-woman man. Now, a lot of questions and a, a lot of stuff comes up around, can he have ever been divorced? Is that what this is speaking of? Look, um, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. If you judged me based on what I did in my life before I was saved, there's no way I could sit here. There's no way, I could, there's no way you could sit there. What, what this is saying, and, and so... You know, every case is individual. We, we, we look at these things. If, if it seems that God is raising up a man to be an elder we, and, and he's divorced, well, when did it happen? What were the circumstances? How did you handle it? What was the situation? What went down? It, you know, and so we, we, we seek the Lord on these things. But the idea is that they lived in a society where there was polygamy and there were, you know, uh, polygamy and adultery were common. And so this would say, you know, the guy who is, is the role model in the church, the one who's leading, He's a dedicated family man. He's dedicated to his wife. He demonstrates loyalty there and a committed relationship with that one woman. He's not into pornography. He's not an adulterer. None of those things that would be bad examples. This is who he is. Husband of one wife. He's uh, temperate, which again, sort of uh, vigilant is the word. He's uh, it's connected to drinking and the idea that when you drink, you get tired and you go to sleep. So the elder is not to be participating in drinking. We'll see that repeated because it makes you tired and it makes you not able to pay attention to what's going on. So the elders have to be vigilantly looking out for the flock, paying attention. Sober-minded or sound of sound mind. Uh, he's got to have his wits about him. 
He, he can't be, this means this is a man who, um, who is, is guarded um, in his impulses in his life. Internally, the things, his internal desires are under control. And so his desires aren't sound mind, meaning that his mind is not leading him to make decisions based on sinful desires. That's important, right, for a, for a leader. We've seen the bad results of that in government, I think. So sound, and I like the next one, of good behavior. Of good be- He's got to be behaved. I, when I was little, I had a neighbor, a friend, we were buddies, and I remember one time going over to his house, and his mom said, Andy, now you need to behave. And he said, Mom, I'm being have. He didn't understand the, the verbiage there. You know, I'm being have. Have was something you were supposed to be. Okay, never mind. Uh, I'm being have. Of good behavior. It means his life is in order. It, it means a guy who you look at his life and things are just, they're in order. He's just well put together. He's not a scatterbrain or not, you know. Uh, it's the kind of person you just look at and you say, man, that guy's got his life together. And that's the result of the gospel in a person's life. That doesn't mean his life is perfect. It doesn't mean he never has any trouble, but this means he knows how to deal with it. Now, look, being an elder, being a, a role model doesn't mean we, we never make mistakes. Please, be gracious. We do. Lots. And I say a lot of words each week. And some of you, I've sinned against you with my words on occasion. And you've been gracious. And, man, we deal with a lot of people in stressful situations. And I could very possibly sin against you someday. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. But when I do, I will beg you for your forgiveness. And that's part of being a role model, isn't it? Is knowing how and when to forgive and to be forgiven. Knowing how to humble yourself and admit and confess a wrong. So those are all part, you know, those are all part of being sober-minded, being of good behavior. Hospitable. There are 16 things we're going to go through here. 10 positive things to be and 6 things not to be. Hospitable. It's very helpful when your wife also has that gift. Otherwise, you can get in big trouble. Honey, five people are coming over for lunch again today. I, I gotta, I've learned over the years. I've learned over the years to get, and thankfully Helga does have the gift of hospitality. It just means kindness to strangers. And I like that because the home in our culture used to be the home was the place where you invited people in. And in the, in the Eastern culture, man, hospitality is huge. Like, you clear the fridge out for your guests. You give them the best you have, even if it means you don't have food the next day. You give them your best when you show hospitality. And I pray that this church would continue to be hospitable, welcoming in people, recognizing that maybe they're uncomfortable in a setting like this. But hospitality, you know, uh, when you invite people to your house, now see, our houses are now where we escape to, aren't they? You know, that's, my, that's my place. That's my escape. I do there. That's my life. So we close the house. The elders are to be people that, that are willing to open their house. And the danger in that is that when you open your house and you invite people in, they see how you live. And you can't hide anything. It's all in the open. So I've learned over the years, you know, uh, we don't have anything to hide. And we're, you know, some of you guys know Helga's not shy about, you know, look, the dust bunnies are in the corner. Just, we live like, we don't live in like pristine pastoral house. You know, we live. 
we live. We've got kids and we go places and we do things and we've got dogs and a farm. And so, you know, but Satan wants to use that to keep us from being, to keep us afraid to ever invite anybody over because what are they going to think of us? If you love them, they won't even notice the dust bunnies. If you care for them, they're not going to care that there, were, there was laundry on the floor or whatever it is. When you invite and you give people your best. So I call Helga and I say, hey, um, Helga, I'm thinking about inviting some people over tomorrow. Can we do that? Can that work? Because I don't want my gift of hospitality to impinge on her gift of rest or needing to rest. So I'm very sensitive about that. Hospi- given to hospitality or hospitable. Able to teach. There is a connectedness between teaching and leading in the church. There's an aptitude that this is not part of what the deacons would do. The deacons are not responsible for teaching. The elders in the church are the ones that are primarily responsible for the disseminating of, of the gospel, disseminating of teaching. Now, there's teaching that happens all over the place in the church from all kinds of people, one-on-one, small groups. That's all wonderful. God gives lots of people to teach. And one of the people, or some of the people he gifts to teach, are the elders. And if you don't own it, you can't teach it. I mean, you can teach it cold. But to be given the aptitude to teach is to mean that this is something you're meditating on, you're thinking about, you're living out, you're working through in your own life. And then out of that comes your teaching. So an aptitude to teach. Not given to wine, not sitting long at the table, that would mean. Not, not drinking um, not, you know, you don't want to see the elders from church down at the bar, hanging out, getting drunk. A drunkenness is a sin. Um, abstinence is, you know, if, if I hear that uh, one of the elders is, is at your house for the football game, slamming them down with the guys, then we're going to talk. Not violent. That's good. I mean, violent is not good. Um, some of your Bibles say not striker, not someone who tries to get his way by force or by uh, brutality, not greedy for money. That's important too. I don't know what anybody in the church gives. I never see the giving. I know what we give, and that's it. There are people in the church that do because they count and they deposit and things like that. But if we see the Lord raising someone up to be an elder... That's the first time we'll check and see what's their record of generosity. Is this a giving person? Because if you're not a giving person, the chances are you're a greedy person. And it's very risky to have someone who's greedy in a place of leadership because money is a lousy motivator for ministry. You can't have money be the motivator. And, and Paul and Timothy were dealing with that. People that think godliness is a means of gain. That, because they see you Christians... And they see dollar signs. Christians will spend their money on books and tapes and DVDs and CDs and all this kind of stuff. We'll spend our money on this stuff. So they say, ah, cha-ching. Not greedy. Not greedy for money. But gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not covetous. Now, I love verse 4. This is one of my favorites. I, I got this, like, multiple highlighted in lines in my Bible. One who rules his own house well having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house well, or rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Good question. The house is the proving ground for the elder. Because how you are, guys, how you are at home is how you really are. 
And you might be able to fool the church once a week, but you won't fool your family. And so I have learned that this is a really, really important thing. If a guy seems to be being called to be an elder, seems to be raised up for that, let's just watch and observe how he is with his family. Is there a love relationship between he and his wife? Is there a love relationship and grace between he and his children? Do they respect him? Because if a guy's kids don't respect him, then nobody else is going to respect him. And we all know the wonderful part of being a pastor's kid, right? I mean, I have met more people that have grown up in families where mom and dad are one way at church and another way at home. And that causes a lot of kids to reject the gospel because they don't understand. Why why is dad up there preaching and saying all those things and he's a leader in the church, but look the way he treats us at home, right? I I I was just talking to to my son about this, you know, the, the challenge of, being raised with your dad being the pastor and sort of like all the scrutiny is on you and all that stuff. And, and I, I'm thankful again for this church. My kids love coming. They love you guys. They love this fellowship. And I just pray that you would treat them as individuals. You know, that never in my life have I ever said to my kids, you do this because you're, you're, you know, I'm the pastor or because I'm an elder. That is never the reason to change behavior. That's manipulation. My kids are Christians. They do what they do because they're Christians. And I disciple them and discipline them as a father would his Christian, not because I'm the pastor or a pastor or or whatever. And I pray that this congregation would treat them, and you guys do. You treat my kids with a lot of uh, kindness and respect. And, you know, pastor's kids have a tough job. They got a tough We live, we live in, in the, uh, you know, James said, let not many become uh, teachers because you're held to a higher accountability. And so, you know, I pray that if I'm not going to put a trip on them about being pastor's kids, you shouldn't either. They're just working this thing out just like you, right? Just like me. And to rule, be careful about this because a guy can easily say, I'm the ruler of my house. To rule, listen, to rule means guardianship to care for, to care for. This is a man who cares for his home, who's engaged with his kids, who's looking out for the safety and the benefit of his family. And if he's doing that, with, he's going to be that guy in the family, and he's going to be that guy in the church. I wouldn't expect a guy, if his, if his family's in a terrible mess, that somehow he's going to change all of a sudden. They're going to be different as an elder. He is going to be in the church who he is at home. And these, isn't this, folks... Isn't this the role model that you would want for your family? And don't you, shouldn't we have in the church those people, not just the elders, but other people too, that we say, you know, I'm not sure how this gospel looks. I'm not sure how this thing's worked out. Because new believers come in, they don't, they, they come in, their example of a role model for life is like MTV. That's how, that's how stuff's supposed to work. And it couldn't be farther from the truth, Right? So they ought to be able to come and say, what, what does being... I remember when Helga and I first got saved, started attending church, we invited the pastor over. Said, what does it look like to be a Christian couple? Well, what does it look like? We had no idea. To some of you guys, that's astounding because you figure, you know, you grew up in the church. You know, I didn't know. We didn't know. What's it look like? What are we supposed to do? What are we not supposed to do? And to have someone we can ask, you know, Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I think that's the elders should be able to say that as well. And it even extends to the care of his own home. Uh, Verse 6, not a novice 
not a new planted person, not someone who's a new believer. Why? Because there's a danger, uh, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. And puffed up is literally um, wrapped with smoke. You know, you ever heard the term blowing smoke? Well, this, if, if a young guy who's a new believer becomes an elder, he gets a taste of that power, easy to begin to believe his own press, think he's something else, and get clouded by the position and fall into the problem of the devil, which is pride. The devil said, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to make the choices. I'm going to call my own shots. And, and God said, ah, time to go. Down you go. So that's the danger of someone. So the, the elder is going to be someone who's a mature believer, someone who's been walking with the Lord for a while. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So the elders have a lot of problem with the devil. We've got to be careful. First, it's the condemnation of the devil. The second thing, we have, an elder ought to have a good reputation in the community. Business-wise, you can't have a guy who's out there cheating people and stealing from people in business, giving them a raw deal, then come in and all of a sudden you see him there being an elder in the church. You're leaving that church, I'll bet. Because you say, that's the guy that ripped me off last week. And so there's this blamelessness. There's this accountability. Otherwise, if, if a guy is, is cheating people or, or doesn't have a good reputation in the community, then it's easy for people to, to bring a reproach, to bring... Um, condemnation against him to say, hey, I saw that guy doing this and I saw that guy doing that. And that just uh, undermines what God is trying to do here, doesn't it? Verse 8. Now, he says, likewise. So now we get to the second class. Uh, not, not second class in terms of hierarchy. A second group of leaders. Likewise, deacons. Deacon just means table waiter, a servant. If you go back to Acts chapter 6, when there arose a need um, uh, in the fellowship, they had to appoint uh, these deacons, these, these men that were servants to the church. And, and we have, I think, five here. I haven't counted up in my head recently. But we've got guys, Bill Albritton, faithfully, dutifully handles the, um, the bookkeeping for this fellowship. You guys have no idea the time he puts in. And the deacons in church history would often be the ones that handled uh, Mike Shields, the setup and the takedown. Trailers come and going that handled the daily activities of the church so that the elders could be focused on prayer and teaching and study and caring for those things. So the deacons would handle all of the, uh, the, the, the money aspects, the counting of the money, the distribution of food and, and compassion ministries. Those kind of things would be handled by the servants. And they're not uh, immune from having a good character Either, likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, meaning they can't say one thing over here and another thing over there. That gets people really mad, doesn't it? You say one thing to one person, then you say another thing to another person. There should be a a consistency in communication. Again, not given too much wine, not greedy for money, especially important uh, for people that are involved with the financial aspect of the church. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Uh, guys that really believe what they believe. That there's some things that about, about, the, about Christ that are a mystery. Meaning that there's ways we never would have known them unless the Bible said them. Unless God revealed them. And, and deacons and elders both. But here Paul speaks that about the deacons. says, you've got to be able to hold on to these mysteries. These things that 
I've been revealed to you with a pure conscience, meaning this is really what we believe. They can't be faking it till they make it. Verse 10, let these also first, circle that word first, first be tested, be examined. You know, um, let that have first an examination. Hey, let's look, not like, okay, you know, here's question number one. You know, who is Jesus? Question number two. No, this is a watching of the life to see if it lines up with who God would call to be in that position, in that role. You know, uh, when I was working in the horse industry, we, um, if someone was going to buy a horse, they would have him vetted. Anybody know that word vetted? I mean, the veterinarian would come out and they would look him over, you know, check the joints, check, watch him run, see if he's going to be suitable for the job you have him to do. If he, is he going to be this kind of horse or that kind of horse? What do you want him to do? Is he sound? And so this process of examination is really, I think the church would do well to spend more time vetting before voting. Right? Don't you think? Rather than just looking at the resume and seeing what is there, does he have a PhD? Where has he been disseminated? Those things are not bad. But only as they are an adjunct to the character. The character. So let, let, let them first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. So at the end of the result of the testing, if they get an A, hey, this is a guy we can trust to hold this office, to do this job within the church. Now, verse 11. I can't tell you how many hours I have spent studying verse 11. Likewise, again, just like back in verse 8, it seems to speak of a third category. In the elders, then you have likewise, just like the elders, you have the deacons, and then you have likewise, their wives, in the, king, the New King James, um, the word there is in italics, it means it's not there in the original script, it's added for, um, to explain, it's added to help understand Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. So debates rage over what Paul was trying to tell Timothy here. And there are a few options, and I will give them to you, and I will try to explain to you where I am in all this. We're not going to be real long-winded about this, as if I could ever not be long-winded about anything, but hang with me. Likewise, the word in Greek that's translated women, is the same word that's translated wives. Gune. It's the same word. So nobody really, so it says, really, likewise, women. That's how it would literally read. Likewise, women. So who are these women? Well, one possibility is that they're the wives of the deacons. So it says, the deacons do this, because he's going to get back to the deacons in a minute. So it says, likewise, deacons, blah, 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 blah. And then their women or their wives... And we've certainly seen in ministry, uh, you might have a a wonderful guy who's qualified to uh, serve the church in that capacity, but if his wife is troublesome, if his wife is contentious, that can really be a train wreck, can it? So, uh, So it could certainly be the wives of the deacons, that there's some character necessary for them. It could be women deacons. So you've got the deacons and then you've got the women or the women, the female deacons. It could be that they serve in the same capacity as the male deacons, the, the men deacons. Uh, that's a possibility, you know. Um, I have, like I said, two, two, three years I've been hashing this out in my mind because I want to do what the Lord wants, really. 
And so it's a possibility that these are, are women deacons in the same category as the male deacons. But I think what is more likely is there is a third category of women that serve in a similar uh, but different function from the men deacons. And that's why they're in their own category. Otherwise, he would just lump them in with the deacons and not had to say anything differently. But he, he outlines this third category, the women servants of the church. Phoebe in Romans chapter 16. We have our own Phoebe. Aline, I've called her Phoebe for like 10 years now because she's such a servant to the church. So look, ladies that were upset last week, look, women have leadership roles in the church. I am not stepping in to lead a women's study, a women's ministry. The best thing is for the women to lead the other women, the older women, to lead the younger women, to be in responsible uh, places, being role models for them. So there is this third class, likewise women. So wh- where I stand with, look, you can argue with me on this. Okay, you know, I'm not going to go toe-to-toe with you about it. I think that there is a third category of women who had separate uh, but very important roles in the church, ministering to women, ministering to the poor, ministering with compassion, things that guys can't do. Things that we just can't do. And that way the body works the best. When everybody does their part, when everybody fulfills their role, the body works in a very, very healthy manner. So likewise, the, the women uh, must be reverent, not slanders. That's an interesting word. How many of you have heard the word diabolos? Anybody, is that familiar to anybody? Diabolos. Anybody know that that translates often devil? Here it translates slanderer. So a lot of the commentators say she can't be a she-devil. And a boy, a, a woman can really um, do some damage. Anybody can do damage with their words, really. But um, uh, I'm just going to leave and go on to temperate. Um, and faithful in all things. Faithful in all things. You know, um, just women that can be trusted. They can be trusted with whatever they're given. And so now back to deacons, verse 12. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. We covered that. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You know, those that serve the church in this uh, committed capacity earn themselves a place um, of respect within the church. And that's not a thing to take lightly. That's, that's a, Paul says that's a worthy and honorable occupation. Here's what I've learned. The world is not coming in to do the church work. And so many men and women are so committed to worldly ambitions no time for church stuff. There's no, no glory in it. And so we have big, great big gaps. And I'm praying, I'm praying that as this fellowship grows, that God would begin to raise up more men. And by the way, this third order, this, these women, uh, church history would say these are likely widows. We'll see them in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. Likely they're widows, they're women that either have raised children or they're out of those child-rearing years. And now they're sort of free to dedicate themselves to serving 
in the church rather than having the, the women to be competing with managing their family, taking care of their kids, doing whatever they're doing there, manage the house, and then also try to serve in the church and get divided and, and neglect one or the other. So um, not trying to put a, you know, a heavy trip on the women like you've got to do more and more and more. But uh, I just pray that, that, that you all would see the body of Christ as a worthwhile organization, organism. And it, it may not get a lot of honor here on the earth to be a pastor, but it sure does in heaven. And again, I just want to say on behalf of all those that are in leadership in this church and maybe those that are gonna, going to be in leadership, as Phil, would you come on up, Phil? That um, I enjoy inviting people here. I enjoy inviting people into this fellowship because um, it's working, wouldn't you say? I mean, that's why you're here, right? It's working. It's working because we're submitting ourselves one to another, yielding, saying, Lord, you're, we want you to be, we want the Spirit of God to reign over this place. We want God to have our home in order. Amen? Amen. So pray for me. Pray for us, the elders that are um, serving and, and trying to live out this life to the, the best that we can under the scrutiny uh, and the, in the commitment to the Lord. And I pray that you all, you know, healthy sheep give birth to healthy sheep, right? And that's, what, that's all I want. That's what, what, how do you know if you're successful as a church? Not because you grow numerically, because you've got healthy sheep. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. And as we close... Uh, if, if you have further questions, please send me an email. Uh, if you have complaints, send Phil an email. He's an elder too. He'd be glad to, to, to hear those out. But if you ever want to talk more about roles or family or any of those things, please feel free to give me a call, send me an email. And this morning, just as we close, if your house is, is not in order and you don't know what it means to have Christ at the center of your heart, at the center of your home, then don't wait. Don't, don't look for the, the answers in People Magazine or the Oprah Winfrey Show. Look to the Word of God. Find a godly family and ask them what they do. And please, after the service, just come down and we'll kneel and we'll pray and we'll beg God to rescue your family. Amen? Amen. We'll sing a final song and then um, we'll share fellowship with one another.